Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pitt falls to 1-3 after a loss to North Carolina. 41-24 is the final score. And we are here to talk about it on Football Unscripted right here on the Pit Talk Network. I am your host, Corey Cohen. And with me, you know him, you love him. On Twitter, you can find him at Pit Basketball Shouting. In Hi. Peterson Event Center, you can find him, I, I don't know, living underneath the floorboards. <laughs> I don't know, but he's here, and, and I'm so excited to have you on the pod. Thanks so much, PBS. Oh, my God. Yeah, thanks for having me. I think we talked about doing this like six years ago when you're doing the Cardiac Hill podcast. It just never happened. So glad to finally do it. Very excited to have you on. And uh, again, people may know you from Twitter or Blue Sky and um, just a very entertaining follow. Uh, so if you haven't done it yet, by all means, please do. Also, if you haven't followed Pit Talk Network, uh, you can find Pit Talk Network on Twitter and Blue Sky. And also, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this. Please subscribe to Pit Talk Network for all brand new episodes coming up. So let's jump right into it. Pitt loses to 17th ranked North Carolina, 41 to 24. And I feel like Stefan from SNL. This game had everything. This game was bonkers. This game, I'm so glad to have you on for this one because this one was ridiculous. There's the a lot to talk about at the very least. And I think that's maybe the, the most reasonable expectation you could have for pit football this year is at least give me something to talk about, please. Yeah, at least give us something weird and entertaining. So that's what we're going to start with. Before we get into the nitty gritty of this, let's talk about the bizarre stuff that happened. Okay. Let, let's go, what's the most ridiculous thing that happened in this game? And I've got some nominees for you, and then feel free to pitch out more if you think. Here are some nominees. The punt return touchdown that they allowed. That was pretty weird. Uh, the Late in the second quarter, the technical difficulties on the ACC network oh, made it impossible to watch the game because it was in and out of a black screen. Occasionally, the score bug would just start floating up the screen Sometimes we got two screens for the sake of one. Uh, the audio was cutting in and out. It was out for a good chunk of it. it just and a lot was a, a lot was happening in those two so minutes. So much like, happened. Pitt had a minute to go. They were driving, and like by the end of it, like Christian Veyer was in the game. Like that is the <laughs> that is like the least triumphant way to enter the game is via technical difficulties. <laughs> it was so funny. First of all, that they flagged it right away by putting technical difficulties up on the screen in the top right, saying like, "Yeah, we we know where this is rough." I think they just all wanted to get to halftime so they could unplug and plug it back in. Because something was weird and the game just wouldn't do it. And not only did it not go to halftime for a while, as you just said, important stuff happened. <laughs> Phil Jerkovic got knocked out of the game with a late hit. There was a near fight on the field between the two teams. Like benches were being cleared. Bayer came into the game. He threw it downfield to, I think it was Mumfield. We didn't see any of that. It was bizarre. Yeah, no, I think I think there was a lot like it did cut back at one point to Phil Dracovic having a heated conversation with somebody. And then by the next time it happened, he was out of the game. So a lot of like the shark from Jaws situation, we're not seeing it was scarier than whatever actually happened there. I, I get the vibe that it was a concussion type situation, but I have they just called an undisclosed injury for the rest of the game, which just added to it. Yeah, it was it was absolutely bizarre. And also, I think. During that brawl and Dracovic looking heated, I think there was no sound. So we really had no clue what no, was No, there wasn't. There wasn't. Yeah. That's exactly right. It was so bizarre. And then 
so okay and then on top of that you could i don't know if you want to do separately the concussion maybe concussion on the late hit but where you just wrap that all up into one a kick return 100 yard kick return touchdown from kenny johnson absolutely bizarre there was a blocked punt that pitt blocked a north carolina punt and then immediately pitt fumbled it and gave it right back with a, a botched handoff on a jet sweep from Vayer intended for kenny johnson I, I believe that was like the next play that they gave it right back two weeks in a row. That, that would have been my pick for weirdest thing that's happened in this game. If that literally hadn't happened last week too, <laughs> like, or yeah. the, a very similar, like turnover and turnover right back situation. Like that's always just such a big reaction situation. But it's happened twice in two weeks now. I can't even, I don't even know if I can give it the award back to back like that. It's so weird that, yeah, back-to-back weeks in a crucial situation in basically the same spot on the field, Pitt gets a turnover, and then within two plays, they give the ball right back. It's it's bizarre. I'm trying to think. Are there any other nominees we have for weirdest thing in this game? I feel like there were some other things that I'm forgetting. I am tr- going through my notes as well. There was a couple – oh, there was – this is lower down the chain. There was the very early Drake May – uh, oh, he turned it over. Oh, it was intentional grounding. Oh, ne- never mind. It was actually just a incomplete right. pass. Yeah. Like that was after the commercial break. A couple, if you want to get weird about it, like a couple calls were made from Charlotte about that. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't actually think that probably. Um, there was Drake May. There were the refs missing perhaps an illegal man downfield and then Drake May throwing a touchdown pass with his left hand, even though he's right-handed. Pretty weird. Yeah. Oh, the weirdest thing. Um, Fildrakovic completed passes. <laughs> yeah yeah phil Dracovic looked mediocre like i Fine. i think that's a compliment i mean that is weird yeah yeah um the fact that like pitt fielded 11 men who had the intention of moving a ball downfield this week at least to start was and improved like just if you're, you know, if you're just joining the season, I guess the last two weeks being truly some of the worst offense I've ever, I've ever had to like watch because the team I like. Um, so just even looking fine to okay was shocking. And especially too, because I wasn't in Pittsburgh as far as anyone knows, but the, um, the weather was terrible too. So it was like surprising that this was the night they that they were both trying to air it out and airing it out with some success. That was weird. Yeah. You would think if anything, you would think, I think when people saw the, the weather forecast, Oh, this actually could be good for Pitt because Drake mm-hmm. may can only do so much. And then not only was Drake may fine, but also Pitt's offense seemed fine. It, it was very bizarre a world. Yeah, it was. Oh, another weird thing. Pitt got called for a penalty for 12 men on the field because the refs didn't give them enough time to substitute a defender off. So there was like a defensive lineman sprinting off the field while Drake may snap the ball and then got some free yardage. That was one of, if you're collecting penalties, that was one of three rare penalties. I mean, 12 men is not super, super rare, but then there was also something about not all the players being set on the line at one point, And then the frankly disheartening uh Vayer throwing beyond the line of scrimmage <laughs> happened as well. Uh, I completely late. Like, forgot I that about was, that. That was pretty late in the game. I and mean, that was well past the point where like the game was in any doubt. It just was very odd to watch. And it was a cool completed pass to Bub Means only to realize, oh, it's was, you know, three or four. it was very, very much beyond the line of scrimmage there. So, yeah, that was one of the more bizarre things in this game. Just at least like three, four yards past the line of scrimmage, just throwing it anyway. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. What would you say is the most bizarre? There, there were still a couple other small things. There were receivers being hit in the hands and dropping them. There were some weird penalty calls. I don't know. What would you say was like the absolute weirdest part of this game? I I would have to give it to, as a broadcast product, that last minute where it went from <laughs> they're going for it to everything is falling apart, to uh, Phil Dracovic is driving and maybe a pass was completed and it's first down or it's third and 40. And then it was, there was like a third, there was a third and 33 or a fourth and 33 at some point too. I don't think that was during that sequence. 
but trying to find out secondhand what the hell was going on in the game and only getting the briefest snippets of it, like, you know, like coming in and out of consciousness and that there was, I, I really don't understand. I don't think anybody's like properly explained how the dots connected between Phil is driving, Phil is in a fight, Phil is out of the game. And yeah, that that's, I, I don't think that's going to happen I think that's the one like purely unique thing that happened in this game in the way that like even the touch the, the back-to-back turnovers happened a week ago and I'm sure we'll see you know Kenny Kenny Johnson I'm, I'm like kind of excited about now not for this season but like a year down the line or two years down the line if he sticks around <laughs> which you, you, you know I don't want to have that conversation today but like Kenny Johnson I hope we see more big plays from him I think we will see more big plays from him I think that's you know, he had some very exciting stuff. The ACC network uh, breaking, <laughs> just straight up breaking. Uh, I hope that's a rare thing. Although, like, <laughs> the ACC is kind of breaking. So maybe it's just like, <laughs> this is how life is now. I'm wondering if if we turned on, like, the Pac-12 network, are they just going to start <laughs> pulling up shop? Yeah, The Pac-12 <laughs> network is showing Candle Cove right now. <laughs> The Pac-12 network is just like you, you watch it, and then you, you turn to a loved one. They're like, "Why are you looking at that static screen for two hours straight?" It's just like the one in the logo is like falling off the screen. Just the the girlfriend. I made I made this joke on whatever Twitter is called now, but um, yeah, I, I was low key convinced that the the girl from the ring was crawling out of my screen or. <laughs> You know, they could see me or 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 my reality was gonna fade out of existence or something at that point. It was getting it was getting weird. Yeah, I think the Pac twelve network is um man, I think you can only get like yeah, I think you can only get those. I did. This is tell sidebar because I think it's it's known that I used to live in Oklahoma. Um there was one house I lived in Oklahoma that got the Pac twelve networks. And that was the only time I've ever seen it anywhere, getting like, you know, the the various like Fox Sports pacific stanford volleyball in in november sort of stuff um that is so unrelated to what we're talking about tonight but yeah i can confirm that the pac-12 network was at one point real like 10 years ago <laughs> that yeah i think right now the pac-12 network might be like the photo in back to the future where the kids are just slowly fading away I very think possibly that might be the pac-12 network yeah uh, i i certainly do not get it here here on the east coast so yeah i i i am in agreement the ACC network just breaking for oh. maybe the most important period of the game. That was insane. One more thing while I'm talking about the ACC network. Did you get a Cars for Kids commercial every single commercial break? No, I got other commercials every single commercial break. I saw you were talking about the Cars for Kids. I got Kevin O'Leary talking about something again and again and again. I got... A hat uh, called, what was it called? It was called something. It had a weird name. I got some things that you hear podcast ads for, like like AG1 energy stuff. Huh. And I got them on a loop, like every single commercial break. Yeah, I, I, I think, and I've had this in the past with like ESPN, watching things through like ESPN Plus. In this case, I think because I was watching through, I was watching through ESPN Plus must have been their reaction, you know, their rotation, even though I thought I was just getting the Hulu, like the ACC network stream. But no, it was a there was a Cars for Kids commercial every every break. OK, if that's not relatable, then we will move on from that. But just know <laughs> that that added a layer to me that that was like it, it went from being like an occasional thing to once the game was like truly garbage time. And I was watching because I agreed to do this. Then it was like, oh, you want to keep watching? Here's the Cars for Kids uh, commercial every five minutes. Yeah, that's no, I definitely got the same commercial over and over again. They were just different commercials. Yeah, it, it was strange. But yeah, the, definitely, I, I think what was so funny about the ACC network collapsing when it did was that it was at such a crucial point in the game. So let's talk about the cru the most crucial thing that happened in this one. I know we're a very serious podcast where it takes us about 13 minutes to get in to the top story that every pit you you, you just yeah. you, you don't invite me on for hard analysis i'm sorry no no we don't we don't <laughs> you invite me on to talk about to talk about uh <laughs> ways to donate cars to jewish summer camps 
So very fitting uh, timing with with Yom Kippur coming up as as people are listening to this. Okay, let's get right into it. The quarterback play, mm. Phil Jakovic, we mentioned he was fine. He wasn't asked to do much, and he wasn't able to do much, but he did enough. He was 11 for 15, 109 yards through the air. He didn't turn the ball over. He had a couple good runs in there. Then late in the second quarter, well, <laughs> well we're blacking out. Um, there's a hit. Phil Jakovic gets knocked out of the game, and Christian Veyer warms up. The transfer from Penn State, who is originally from Quebec, he's French-Canadian, and he comes into the game. He has what we assume was a really nice pass down the field to get Pitt almost into field goal range. We didn't exactly see it. And then he comes out in the second half, and Pitt makes the announcement that Phil Djokovic will not be re-entering this match. And this was going to be uh, Christian Veyer's game for the second half. And this is what we saw from him. Eight for 19, 88 yards, two interceptions. It was... There were certainly some growing pains. So what can we make of both quarterbacks? For Phil Dracovic, was this a one-off that, yeah, for a couple drives, if you don't call any plays that are too demanding, he can be okay? Was this Phil Dracovic's back? He should be the starter whenever he's healthy. And then with Christian Veyer, was this, yeah, there are some jitters, but he's got talent, or do we think time to go to the third string, Nate Yarnell? I am not a Nate Yarnell truther. I'll lead with that. I, I appreciate what he did against Western Michigan last year, but that was a much better cast around him, and that was a much more specific game plan. And also, it was a not it was a it was not the Western Michigan team that beat you know Kenny in twenty twenty one. If we want to go back to agent history, Veyer put up a line that was like what Phil had been putting up the past few weeks, which is really disheartening. But if you believe the coaching staff. They were saying that he wasn't ready to go or that he wasn't the guy just yet or he wasn't better than Phil. And this was not a situation where I think they would have put him in the game if not for the injury. I think it, this sort of line is a lot more acceptable if this is a three-year plan with him or a four. I don't know how many years of eligibility he has left, but like if this is year one of three for him and he's learning and this is his first game and it's rough stuff against a ranked team. And I think think if I want to split the difference here because Phil looked like they figured things out for me the line is like are we still plausible for the independence bowl or the military bowl or the Tropicana field bowl or whatever um if Phil's ready to go next week that's a winnable game I think there's maybe not five winnable games left but a couple once we get into like you know November December and and if the team is like two and seven or three and six or something that's where I'd say bring in Veyer. I, I, I am not dissuaded by this performance. It wasn't a good performance. There was a lot to not like and very little to like. But he, you know, he's the future for now. Um, or he's at least plan A for the future. So I think once once the season is properly screwed, that's when they, you bring him back. That's when you get give him his reps and, uh, you know, let him have his growing pains, hopefully for next season. Yeah, so he is a redshirt sophomore. So this theoretically could be the first of a three-year stretch mm -hmm. of Christian Veyer. It's so tricky because there, there definitely were some certain plays there where he looked good. There were certain plays where he looked bad. And then there were certain plays where even if he looked bad, I, I couldn't quite figure out, is this bad as in he just doesn't have it? Or is this bad as in he didn't get the practice with the first team all week he hasn't had much experience playing college football and some of this stuff like the interception the first interception where he just got obliterated by mm -hmm. a defender who mm -hmm. he had no time because the offensive line was porous and he needed to get rid of it and instead of getting rid of it either well he could have taken a sack or instead of getting rid of it somewhere on the field that was safer he just threw it up way down the field and it was intercepted that to me didn't concern me as much because the offensive line giving him no time and throwing that ball. That's something where, yeah, it's growing pains, but he'll, he'll work that out. But the second interception where he, he, I couldn't tell if it was a miscommunication, but there was just no pit player near him. It was very strange. Definitely some plays where 
I think, yeah, that's not great, but I think he'd be fine moving forward. And then some plays that are concerning where you're like, oh, God, no, is this another Phil Dracovic? Well, that's the confusing thing for me is that if Phil is throwing into triple coverage and straight to opposing cornerbacks and opposing defensive backs, and then Vayer is doing the same thing, I don't think they're being coached to do that, but they're both doing that. And that is, I am very much out of my depth in terms of talking like schematics and, you know, play calling and QB vision or whatever. But like, I don't read them as similar quarterbacks. Why are they making similar mistakes? Like what what about the offense? And I know it's, four games in and like only three of them are valuable sample size, but like short season, who cares? This is what we have to do. Um, Like, is it something about the offense? Is it something about like, are the receivers just screwing up routes a lot? Because that's, I'm just trying to go through what are the constants there? And I think we agree that like, there's not a lot to like about the offense on like a unit to unit, like over the course of a game basis. Um, Not a lot to like about the team, but (laughs) But those aren't the sort of mistakes that's like, those are both like quarter, like player specific mistakes, but it's weird. They're making the same mistakes. Right. And if you, if you're looking for constants, there is one constant and that would be the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. And that's Frank Signetti jr. He, he started out this game. The play calling actually seemed to be much improved. They were establishing the run game. They did allow Phil Dracovic to pass it, but not dumb passes. The plays that they drew up for him to pass were passes to the flat. They were passes that were maybe five yards down the field, 10 yards down the field. It was nothing major. They weren't asking too much of him, and they were able to move it down. They got a touchdown in the first drive of the game. I think uh, Phil opened either six for six or seven for seven, which was just very much not what I expected after the past two weeks. So... Yeah, effectively deployed, like you said. Yeah, exactly. And that, to me, that comes down to play calling. I don't think Phil Jerkovic was necessarily better this week, but I think that they understood what he was and utilized him correctly for those first few drives. They understood, yeah, we can't have players down the field and have him try to throw a 30-yard bomb, but we can run the ball, and then every few plays, we can have him pass it 5, 10 yards to someone and make something happen. So Frank Signetti actually started off the game and I thought, wow, this is, this is pretty impressive. They actually figured stuff out. And then late in the first half and then moving forward, he sort of just seemed to lose it. I mean, late in the first half when Pitt still had a chance to drive down the field, this I believe was when I'm actually not sure because of the ACC network's troubles, if this was with Jakovic or Veyer in the game, but there was a pass to the flat, I believe, or maybe it was a jet sweep but it took a ton of time off the clock in that final like minute of the second quarter, which then didn't allow them time to drive it further down the field so that the field goal attempt by Ben Sauls to end the second quarter was essentially an unmakeable distance as opposed to, yeah, if they maybe threw it 10 yards instead of killing some clock, maybe they could have gotten a little closer and had a winnable, a makeable field goal. I don't know if that actually affects anything, but it just did seem like, and then even throughout, on that drive. And then in the second half, the offense was still moving slowly. And in the first handful of drives, the offense was faster. We saw how slowly they were moving against West Virginia early in this game. The offense actually looked like they had some tempo and then they were back to just methodically slowly moving up the field. And it was still technically a winnable game in the third quarter, even in the fourth quarter. And they really weren't playing like it based on how the offense was moving. So it was tricky. Even with Frank Signetti, there were some good things in there, but overall I still am not getting a good read on him in terms of, can he be an effective offensive coordinator? I'm seeing flashes, but I'm certainly not a yes at this point. I am going through my notes and I, because I, you know, you tend to forget how many little twists and turns happen in a game pretty early in the second quarter already because they started out house of fire with the two touchdown drives and i think unc kept answering and then there was enough three and outs that i was just like okay the faucet's closed the the things aren't clicking anymore the vibes are bad again um 
And then there was at least one more drive during that second quarter. There were multiple big completions to Bartholomew, which is just awesome to see in terms of like just this team's ability to to have a big play. I, I don't remember any really from the Cincy game, West Virginia. I think like I think Bart had maybe one other big catch in one of those games. Yeah, but... I think there was one. This had not only were there a couple, there were back to back. There was a drive, it was the third drive of the second quarter. Pitt ended up with a field goal, but on back to back plays, Jerkovic had a 21 yard completion to Mumfield and then a 29 yard completion to Jerkovic. Back to back throws. Yeah, that rules. Um, but yeah, then it just kind of reverted back into the, you know, low, low T offense of the past couple games, um, especially with, and like heart, you know, there was a little bit of that with Phil and maybe, you know, maybe that's like way too small sample size to really say much about, but then, yeah, once Vayer came in, he was not the savior. I think anybody thinking that he was going to come in and salvage the season, that was when, Phil was playing just straight up negative value and they're hoping he'd be zero value. Um, but like he was not, I don't think anybody should have reasonably expected him to come in and been the sort of backup QB that we deal with all the time. Where it's like <laughs> the backup QB comes in and is CJ Bathard and wins the and scores four touchdowns and wins the game. Um, and he, you know, unfortunately he, like I said, I keep, we keep going back to like looked about as bad as Phil had the previous few weeks. Um, but yeah, there just wasn't much. I mean, the only let me see if I got this straight. I think the only yeah, the only touchdown in the second half for Pitt was the kick return. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the only points in the second half were the kick return. The, so yeah, the offense, as you mentioned, the faucet was was closed. Was closed. Yeah, I, I didn't even realize that that they just you know field position was gifted to them a couple times. They did nothing with it. Um, yeah, the offense just did not work. And the defense um, had really like one, I'd say, very bad quarter in the second quarter. And that's against one of the best offenses probably in the country and certainly in the conference. So, I, you know, I don't think we need to talk about them much because it's still. I I think they're going to be fine over the course of the season. Um, but like we're looking at, you know, a bunch of 20 to 10 games going forward with lesser offenses and, and lesser defenses going forward. Um, or lesser offenses, certainly. UNC's defense, I don't think, is especially well, you know, especially well regarded. So Yeah, they're definitely an offense. They gave up yeah. they gave up 24 to pay. How good they, could that defense be? No, that's what's so weird about this game is when you look at the when you look at the just the score and you see Pitt scored 24 points and they allowed 41 points from North Carolina. And 41 points sounds like the defense did a bad job and 24 points sounds like the offense did a good job. And yet that certainly doesn't tell the full story. Now, part of that is because one of the touchdowns had nothing to do with the offense. It was a kick return. So they did not put up 24 points. They put up 17 points. And the other part of it, going back to the defense, I mean, it is certainly odd. Now another touchdown on their end wasn't against the defense. Cause that was a punt return touchdown, but it's definitely odd that North Carolina scored 41 points and you could even say the offense scored 34 points. And overall, I think everyone still feels reasonably good about the defense. I think that maybe says something about North Carolina's offense, that they are legit. They are phenomenal. Drake may is a great quarterback. And so even though the defense allowed 34 points, I don't think anyone is freaking out. I think everyone's like, yeah, this defense is still very good. They're one of the better defenses in the ACC. It's just, you can only do so much against Drake may. And I'm not going to, I'm trying to, I'm going to try my best to not just go through the rest of the schedule while I'm here, but I do think they're in line at least once. And I think it was a Syracuse game last year that ended 19 to nine. I think there's a win like that somewhere on the schedule coming up. Well, they they really just shut it down all game, and they string together four great quarters, and the offense, <laughs> and the offense does something. I guess I don't really know how they get to nineteen, but they they, they do somehow. I'm not going to fancy book out like how exactly those nineteen points happen, but they do. Let's say touchdown, touchdown, long field goal, safety, um, and which I think is probably actually how the Syracuse game went that last year. But I think. 
I think that's in the cards, and I think because they just like they they just they just did not string together four good quarters this day. But like, I don't think we're going to look back on. I I think it's safe to say that we're not going to look back on this as a winnable game or a, a you know missed opportunity or if only you know they clamped down a little harder in the second quarter or third quarter or something something. They're just like too much went wrong this game for even like some of the early on we we're getting real we were getting all real heated about the uh some of the calls some of the flags mm-hmm. and that sucked and you can you can talk about momentum or something but i don't think that was you know ultimately 41 24 and it didn't feel that close like i don't think that was the difference right that's why i'm not as heated after this game as i was after cincinnati or west virginia not even <laughs> close and uh, obviously there are multiple things that go into that but one of them is those are both winnable games, if not yeah. for a couple bad plays and bad decisions. This, as you said, it really wasn't a winnable game. The thing with Frank Signetti at the end of the first half where they have one bad play that kills a bunch of clock that they could have used for field goal. Okay, then Pitt has 27 points. I mean, it's it's not drastically going to change anything. There really wasn't a, if I try to be Dr. Strange and I'm like trying to figure out all the scenarios that <laughs> wins this, I don't yeah. know. Maybe there's one in 14 million. I mean, it was Pitt played solid, but North Carolina is just really good. And if Pitt scored more, I've got no doubt that Drake may could have scored more in the fourth quarter. So th- this, I, I can't get too furious about this when, well, yeah. cause I, I, I think the expectations out of maybe out of the Cincy game, but definitely out of both the West, you know, the brawl in conjunction with Cincy, then losing to a Mac team that same week. I, I think people were looking, you know, certainly I was, I want to speak for the fan base or whatever. I think people were looking at this and going, is this a two or three win team this year, which would be the worst pit team in probably the 21st century. Like the team has been very, you know, been lucky in the past, like 15 years where it's been mostly at worst, like a bowl season. I think 2017 is the only like really recent season where, they didn't finish with a winning record. Uh, and that was still five wins. That was still five wins. You had the Miami win in there. 2007, similarly, was not a good team, but had the fucking win in there. Sorry if I can't swear on this. Um, <laughs> had, you know, the thing that we talk about all the time in there. Um, yeah, you're and, right. And the, last the, point, time, the last time they had fewer than five wins was 1998. They went two and nine. Yeah, I, I had like kind of looked into this in the past. And like that was the vibe after after the brawl where you know maybe virginia tech next week because they look equally just in the in the deep right now um and then you got syracuse boston college and like okay so that's you know at best it's you know maybe a three maybe four win team the words are slightly better where now it's like okay well if phil comes back and they do that for a whole game weirdly the acc is strong this year so it's like maybe it's a five win team maybe it's a six win team so like expectations despite everything kind of moved up if 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 phil is okay and what we saw in the first half from him was what he's gonna do going forward and was like they them figuring out the the play calling like there's there's a there's a route to optimism i guess whereas like that that's it there's a route to there are still things in this season where if this happens, if this happens, it could work. Whereas out of the brawl, it's just like, man, Phil does not have it. There's not like, they're just not going to score points. And it's just, you're, we're going to like lose a bunch of games, 21 to 10 or 17 to three or whatever. Um, this could still be a three win team. There are not so many games left in the schedule that like, you know, they have to win, you know, three or four more without question. Just that's how probably like none of these are slam dunks by any means. It's conference yeah. play, but you can kind of see a path of like, well, if the defense that puts a good game together and the offense often just showed any signs of life. And that's, you know, let's celebrate that. I guess that's, right. that's the that, nicest thing to say here. That's what's so bizarre is there really wasn't any world that in which I could imagine that Pitt would score two touchdowns on its first two drives. I thought maybe the first drive, maybe they get a touchdown. Maybe they get a field goal out of it. Like I I didn't think that this offense would do nothing, 
especially because of how they came out of the gate last week against West Virginia. The first drive actually looked really good. They had to settle for yeah. a field goal, but for the most part, early in the game, they can establish some stuff, then the defense quickly catches on. So it wasn't shocking the first drive, but then the second drive, it happened again. It was like, wow, Pitt has 14 points on offense. This is unreal. And so because of that, there was I think there is a glimmer of hope in there, as odd as, as it is to say. Uh- I said I said on Twitter at before the brawl that like Phil having a good game would be funny, and I said this week that now Phil having a good game would be really funny. Those first two drives were really funny. That was they great. were really funny. That the, was the... watching everybody get the bends trying to adjust their expectations <laughs> that quickly was fantastic to watch. And then you know reality set in, but uh, you know it's 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 the moments. It's not the you know it's 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 the, it's the journey, not the destination, right? Yeah, it, it it was it was the second touchdown drive, the um, the thirty yard touchdown pass to Gavin Bartholomew that was caught at uh, I believe the one yard line. That was hysterical. I could not believe, and it wasn't even like the best pass in the world. But the fact that he threw it relatively on target for a thirty yard gain was absolutely hilarious. It's so weird because this game kind of got me like Phil Dracovic red pilled because <laughs> I. <laughs> I was, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I was after Cincinnati and after West Virginia. I came on this podcast on Football Unscripted. You can listen to the previous episodes. And I was heated. I was absolutely furious saying this is the worst quarterback I've ever seen in my entire life. He should never play another snap for Pitt. And that was justified. I don't back down from any of those takes after those two performances. And I thought it was ridiculous that Pat Narduzzi was going to play him yet again against North Carolina. And yet after those first two drives, the first three drives, because the third drive uh, was still okay. Really after basically most of this game that he played, I was of the opinion that, huh, maybe he's okay. Now he's certainly not a good quarterback. He certainly doesn't have much of an arm. There's certainly not zip behind the passes, but he looks more like a game manager. And as a game manager, Pitt could win some games based on the defense, the special teams, other things like that. And so I can kind of see value now and still playing him where just a week ago, I was saying he should never even wear the Pitt uniform again. Now I'm thinking, huh, Christian Veyer, he is going to make some mistakes because he is inexperienced. And Phil Dracovic, now he did make awful mistakes against West Virginia, but in this game he didn't, and he looked like a game manager. And if he can be a game manager, there are wins that could be on the table with Dracovic that there might not be with a more inexperienced quarterback. And I cannot believe I'm saying this, but there's actually a a case to be made for Phil Dracovic remaining the starting quarterback. Book your military bowl tickets now. They will sell out. I so. I live in the DC area. I actually do have from last year. I have a friend who's a UCF fan. And I do have a beat Duke UCF sticker on my laptop now from the last military bowl. So I will, I'm actually like, I'm, I would go to that. If that happens, I'll, I'll report live from the scene. If that happens, you could still wear the, uh, the beat Duke thing for the, the Duke game. If you want to go down to Durham in, uh, <laughs> over Thanksgiving. Uh, I don't think, yeah, I, I was, I, I did not have hard plans to attend a game this year. I kind of, because my, just very busy where I can't talk about my personal life for gimmick reasons, but <laughs> I had, I had kind of, because back when I was like deliriously optimistic about this season, um, you know, there's the, the Florida state game. I was like, well, if they're good, that's worth the trip for. I don't think, I, I think, I, I do not think I will be, you know, going out of my way to make sure I get some pit football in my life this season. Yeah, it's I I already have tickets and already have plans to go out there for the Florida State game, but yeah, I I was actually originally going to be going out this this for this game for North Carolina. Uh I am not mm. devastated that I didn't partly because of the weather and partly because of the loss. Originally this was looking like it could be a marquee matchup and then we saw what we saw. So, yeah, I mean, it's tricky because with with both of the quarterbacks struggling you wonder, is this a fixable thing? Is this just a Frank Signetti problem? I mean, Pat Narduzzi last week in his Monday press conference basically threw Frank Signetti under the bus by saying about 80% of his time he spends with the defense, and he just relies on Frank Signetti to essentially run the offense. Oh, and that, yeah, yeah that was I know, that was many moons ago. And so it, it's, 
I guess then it's Frank Signetti who's evaluating these quarterbacks who said, Jerkovic's going to be good. Let's bring him in. Vayer's going to be good. Let's bring him in and let's play. Let's start Phil Jerkovic and all this stuff. So this might be a Frank Signetti problem, both from the scouting perspective and the development perspective. Even if they have talent, they come into pit and he isn't able to do much with them. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure. It's a, it's a long season. And <clears throat> at this point, we're only four games in. I'm not sure I see Frank Signetti being the offensive coordinator next year if this is what his offense is able able to do and this is what his quarterbacks, multiple quarterbacks, are able to do. And I don't think it's necessarily as extreme a situation as this for every player, but I, I, I can only, you know, my empathy can only go so far and I can't exactly say like I've ever been in the shoes of like a, you know, a 17-year-old wide receiver looking at schools. like you know, in terms of talent recruiting, it's like, do you want to be a part of this offense? And, you know, certainly we saw that most extremely with, with Addison and the Signetti offense, but if it's not working, I mean, yeah, like I, 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 I wouldn't be, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if sort of a, a CYA for CYA reasons, recovery ass reasons, um, Signetti's gone anyway, like, yeah, just because that's the warning shot before, you know, Pat, you know, is really on the hot seat. And I don't think and to be clear, I don't think I would say 99.9% that, you know, Pat Narduzzi is the head coach for Pitt football in 2024. I'm by no means saying like it's time. I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt or earned, you know, this is the second time <laughs> in, you know, eight years that he's fully dismantled a high powered offense and then gone, oh, man, that didn't work at all. So maybe there's a third <laughs> You know, he brings back, I don't think he's bringing back Marion, but like, you know, there's a third great offense coordinator that he has to surrender to for a bit. And, you know, the pit rises again. But um, yeah, Signetti, I think, I, I, I think things got to change real quick. If, yeah. if there's, you know, before, unless it, with things have to change real quick or there will be a, the fan revolt will only get louder. I was going to say a fan revolt will start. The fan revolt has already very much started. It's already started. Yeah. Boost, it's boost very, it. people yeah, are yeah. not happy about this by any means. Right. Um, and it's, it's without a doubt, if something's going to change and we're in just a second, we're going to talk about the remainder of this season, but this is not going to be a successful season by any account. This is, they're not going to make a bowl game. We know that now it's just not, they happening. would have to win. They would have to win every remaining non-ranked game on the schedule. Um, or lose one of those and then beat one of Notre Dame, Florida State, or Duke. Which right, they they would have to yeah. beat teams like Louisville that looks pretty good, like Syracuse that looks pretty good. Like I, I just I really don't see it happening. And because of that, if this ends up being a four or five win season, you can't just roll everything into next year and say, yeah, we're running it back. Like something's going to have to change. I predict it would be Signetti, and if that's the oh, case. Yeah. Then you go and you try to get an offensive coordinator that maybe runs a little bit more up tempo. It doesn't have to be drastically different. Like this can still be run first. This doesn't have to be an air raid offense necessarily, but just more up tempo, a little bit more exciting, maybe better at evaluating talent at quarterback or developing talent at quarterback. Just something in there. Going to throw out the name Joe Moorhead, who is currently the head coach at Akron that took Indiana to four overtimes. Uh, and I don't, was, I don't think that's happening. I'll just tell you right now. I don't think it's happening um, either. I think he's, you could do, I mean, if you want to, if you, my fantasy booking would be, they do the, um, split zone duo listeners will be aware of this. The Western Kentucky thing of like bringing a coordinator and a quarterback and a, you know, a, a receiver to it just kind of like find a good, <laughs> find a good low FBS or high FCS offense and just steal it entirely. Yeah. That's the thing you can do now. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely could. So I don't know. I, I think something's going to have to change because this offense, they were able to do enough with a little in the first couple drives and even a bit later in the first half, but it's still just not a good offense. It's not quick, even remotely. And when it has to be, it's it's not pretty. There's there's just not There's just not much there. And the quarterback situation is difficult. So before we talk about the, the rest of the game, um, it's... Well, you know what? Let's let's talk about some good things. And then we're going to talk about moving forward. Okay, some good things. Rodney Hammond looks like a beast still. Basically, every time that he gets carries, he looks like a beast. Kenny Johnson looks incredibly Kenny fast. Johnson. That's really exciting. He can be a, a big-time playmaker. And Gavin Bartholomew 
looks as big and great as we all knew that he is. I mean, it's kind of funny because two of those three, I think everyone watching, listening to this podcast could see that ahead of time. We all knew that Hammond and Bartholomew were great. It's just, hey, can you actually get them involved in the offense? Because when you do, hey, look, good things happen. And Hammond stayed on the field for, I think, the a first huge chunk of the game. And that was nice to see. That was, you know, he's the A-back. They're using him fairly. They're using him successfully. He was well-deployed. Um, he was hurt at the end of the game, so we'll see about that. Um, he he was down looking like he you know cramped up or something. I don't think it was a – didn't have the energy of like a season ender or anything like that or even necessarily like something where he'd miss a game or two. If he does, if he's not on the field next week, then that that game is going to be even more even more perverted than it already is going to be. Um, but yeah, they used him well. The rushing attack was fine for what is. Phil also had some good rushes too. I mean, that's you did, know, yeah. again. I would like you know. I feel like he only has like one of those a game. You're reminded, oh yeah, he's like six eight and five hundred pounds. That yeah. he can just run through people. And he doesn't do that enough. Maybe he doesn't want to get injured. I understand that quarterback. Um, but yeah, running attack is well deployed. Kenny Johnson, yeah, just to make sure we get in talking about him, like, it's it's been a minute since there's been, like, the freshman where you immediately go, oh, he's going to be great. Oh, like, he's already playing at the right level. Who was the like, last one? Addison, maybe? Probably, yeah, Addison, I'd say. Um, Tyler Boyd was like that, too, I think. Yeah, 100% um, Tyler Boyd was. Yeah, just like, Art was like, I've wanted to recruit, and already you come in, and you're doing the damn thing. Even Like, Whitehead, they were using him in, like, the rushing packages before he was like properly in the defense. So that was also, you know, a hyped recruit living up to the hype pretty much immediately. Um, yeah. hundred yard touchdown. That's great. You know, that's how we're going to score this season. So thanks for being able to do that. Um, they did a jet sweep and I, I saw everything at once because that was very reminiscent of a previous offense and seeing Kenny Johnson now being a part of that. I don't think, you know, Frank Signetti is going to pick up the Matt Canada, the 2016 Matt Canada playbook Not the current <laughs> one by any means, no. but you know, that was fun. I mean, the more, you know, he might be the only, with respect to Hammond, like the only like electric player that they have in the arsenal right now. Mumfield was fine. You know, Mumfield was confident, but he's not like a, he's not a game breaker. Um, Bart is good for his big catches and he's a tight end. They got to use him sometimes. Um, yeah. Kenny Johnson, I think was, if I had to pick a single, like most exciting thing for this game, it's probably him. Yeah. I, I would probably agree. And again, just going back, when you use these talented players, when you get them involved, they can do big things. The only frustration is that they're not involved nearly as much as they should be. Gavin Bartholomew had two massive catches. Those are the only times that he got thrown the ball. Two targets, 59 yards, and then he's never thrown to again. I'm not sure that Bub Means was even targeted in this game. He was not involved whatsoever. And so he got some catches, but, you know, they. Okay, so I, I completely missed them. Uh, I'm just going to blame the ACC. It wasn't for much. It wasn't for much. Yeah, it's just that there's not – there is talent there. It's just they need to utilize it more, and that seems so difficult when you've got an offense that's being run by Frank Signetti and being managed by two quarterbacks that at various points are at best okay, like decent. At no point has either quarterback that's played looked good, and that's been concerning. So let's talk about moving forward with with those quarterbacks. What on earth do they do now? Because, again, Phil Dracovic, let's assume that he's healthy. Let's assume mm-hmm. that it wasn't too much and they were just being pre- just cautious. And Okay. Let's assume that he's healthy and that he can go against Virginia Tech. Do you play him just for that because it's winnable, but then go back to Veyer afterwards? Do you stick with Veyer thinking – this season's done anyway, and Phil Jerkovic, there's not really an upside, whereas Veyer could have two more years with us. So let's try to get those cobwebs out, similar to Kenny Pickett, how they sort of got the cobwebs out late in that 2017 season. And then by 2018, he was already a good quarterback. Do you go with that? I, uh, do you, we both mentioned Nate Yariel. I, I honestly don't know what to do from here. I said before, I was on the do not let Phil Jerkovic play another snap bandwagon, and now... I don't know. I kind of want him to start the game against Virginia Tech, and I feel crazy for thinking that. No, you're not. I I, I think that as well, partially because Virginia Tech is one of the, at this point, 
one of the two, maybe the most winnable game left on the schedule. Um, and I, if we, you know, to be dramatic about it, like if, if Pitt does lose that game to Virginia tech, like I, I have a big uh, Virginia tech fan friend of mine. Uh, he is already calling it for Pitt next week has said things like, defense softer than hours old bread wet from too much oil and vinegar oh he called them the hoagies that was the joke um uh offense like a philly cheesesteak from new york it's okay but inconsistent nothing like a real thing um yeah that was great like if they lose to this virginia tech team that's a joe para joke about like well you know autumn's more a time for families and going outdoors than it is for watching college football i think um so i think that i think if he i would say like in a vac like i would say if they they can string three wins together next three weeks potentially maybe kind of possibly um and so I am not fully ready to give up on this being a bowl season. I don't, I think the team should not give up on it being a, 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 you know, 500 season or a winning season just yet. That's, that's their deal. I wouldn't expect them to. Um, So I think for purposes of like trying to win games now, which you have to, you know, which is their aim and should be their aim. Yeah. Phil gets to start next week. Maybe, you know, Phil gets to start next week and we find out if the first half was, the exception or the rule because if he's doing if he's doing what he did in the first half this week against virginia tech and louisville ride that out for a bit come back to Vayer later in the season i think especially like if you want to be strategic about it you want to be machiavellian about it you got notre dame and florida state back to back those could be some real ugly lines from phil that could be all the cover you need if you wanted to i don't think pat narduzzi actually does want to but that's what I'd look at as like the, but after the Florida State game, the season might be over. You know, yeah, so that, that could vary. Where... Well. And not to mention, if you are thinking long term, if you want to give Vayer a an easier taking off point, an easier transition, I don't know that you'll necessarily want to play him against Notre Dame and Florida State, which seem like two of the better defenses in the country. Notre Dame yeah. just looked great against Ohio State, Florida State had a very good defense against Clemson. It's it, just it, has tricky. some, has some very scary players too. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, and they talent wise. Yeah. They're stacked. They're big. They're, they're talented. It's, it's insane. So I could very well see a logical thought process of, and this kind of is not too dissimilar from 2017 where Kenny Pickett didn't start until the final stretch of the season. Yeah. And that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. And so that's, I could, I could absolutely imagine that, that he sticks with Phil, presuming he's healthy for Virginia Tech, Louisville, and Wake, thinking those are winnable games. Let's try to get a game managing quarterback in there. Maybe if things are looking ugly, you could put Vayer in for a drive or even Nate Yarnell or something just to mix it up. But for the most part, stop trying him. to make Nate Yarnell happen. I, I'm with you. I I think he's a solid backup and not much more than that. But honestly, if Vayer and Jerkovic look how they've looked at points this season, you got to throw everything up against the wall and see what sticks. Not to sure. mention there's a, there's Ty Diefenbach, the true freshman quarterback who the plan right now is to redshirt him, but you know, who knows? Oh, how could I forget? How could I forget Ty Diefenbach? I how could you forget to that the name? Diefenbach family. I apologize to the friends of the Diefenbach family. Uh, Is that a quarterback yeah, I, I never heard one. If if and then to like to be clear, like if Phil comes out next week and is back to what we saw against the two Big Twelve teams, that's gonna we're gonna go right back to where we were before this game, which is just like get Vayer in there, have him playing for reps, playing for experience, and just. Yep everybody understand that it's a three-year plan if it's a three-year plan then again yeah if like signetti's gone after this year i don't think you know i i think whoever comes in next is not necessarily going to go oh yeah we're sticking with christian Vayer. so try i don't this might long way of saying this might just be a lost season this I might mean, just be a completely wasted might... season right because <laughs> if you are changing offensive coordinators and you're going to change the entire offensive philosophy 
yeah, there's not much to carry over. Now, I still think there's value, even if you have a new offensive coordinator in Christian Veyer, who can stay with the program, who could compete for the starting job, and there's something to be gained there. Whereas for Phil Dracovic, this is his last year of eligibility. He's 23 years old. He's done. Yeah. But I have come around to the line of thinking that you mentioned. You've got three winnable games, theoretically at least, coming up. If Dracovic can be a game manager, you put him out there. And maybe you have, a, have him on a short leash, but you start him, you put him out there. You let him take the hits against Notre Dame and Florida State. You don't throw Veyer into the deep end. And then after that, you let Christian Veyer start the final three games of the season, see what he's got, and carry that moving forward. But let, let's expand this before we, we wrap things up. More broadly, we're talking about these winnable games. You still think six wins is possible. I've got to say I, I don't because – as you said, they'd have to win all of the games against unranked teams coming up. That includes Louisville, who looks good. They're 4-0. They just clobbered Boston College the week before. They beat Indiana on the road. They beat Georgia Tech in week one. Georgia Tech doesn't seem too bad. I think Louisville is a solid team. Now, granted, that is at Heinz Field, but mm -hmm. that's not that, that's going to be a tough win. Syracuse mm -hmm. and Yankee Stadium. That game's going to be weird, and Syracuse looks good. Another 4-0 team. We don't know how legit they are, but they have beaten Purdue. They beat Army today. I mean, we'll see how they look in these next three games. They go through Murderer's Row, Clemson, North Carolina, Florida State. Pissed off Clemson, I should add. And it, it's – it's uh, we'll see how Syracuse is, but that's going to be a tough game. So you have to win both of those, or if you lose just one of them, beat – Notre Dame, a team that looks really good in South Bend. Doubt it. Florida State, maybe in the same way that they beat number two Miami, number two Clemson. Like maybe something weird happens. Maybe. And then Duke looks legitimately really good. Yeah. And at Duke, end of the season, Duke's going to have a lot to play for. They could be playing for a chance to get into the ACC championship at this point. Very possibly, yeah. And um, so I don't know. I, I will just remind everybody – that if you expect the super weapon, it doesn't happen. The super weapon only happens when you're not expecting it. So by me saying this, it's not going to happen. And I apologize. Yeah. Or I've, some, you know, reverse psychology. I don't know. But yeah, like it is pit. It is the sort of thing that happens where like the way that this season winds up on par with 2000, 2017 is like a four or five win team. And one of those wins. Otherwise, yeah, we're looking at. I agree. Like, as I said, previously like we're looking at the worst pit team in the 21st century we're looking at the worst pit team in 25 years um hey portal era not to say we're doomed forever although that's a different again different conversation about like the state of the sport or whatever um but yeah like we are we are having an argument right now just to like take a step back we're having an argument about whether this is like a four win team or a five win team for the most part yeah like yep. things have really nosedived in terms of expectation it is the, the vibes are in shambles. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm remembering the 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 first episode, the season preview episode I did with Jim Hammett, and and just the general vibes. And I think a lot of fans were sort of optimistic and saying nine wins, and I was being the pessimist, saying, "Oh, pump your brakes." I'm thinking eight wins. I think this is fourteen. <laughs> and secretly well, we... in the back of my mind, I thought this might be a seven win team, but I did not expect what I'm expecting now. No, I mean, or maybe five. The because up until this point, with sort of the exception of the five win 2017 team, team, like Pat Narduzzi has not been losing games he should win in right. the way that like previous coaches did and previous pit errors did. Um, and we started the season now with yeah, two of the, the Western Cincy are both like you know, the quality team, quality team, but like any other year, those are win, those are wins, yep. Like, those Pat Narduzzi, like to his as stubborn as he can be and as frustrated as we get here on pit talk network and and pit twitter and all that he generally wins the games he's supposed to win and he he finds ways to win as opposed to previous pit coaches who would find ways to lose paul christ would find ways to lose todd graham would find ways to lose Pat Narduzzi finds ways to win. There have been multiple games in his tenure under different quarterbacks where they have found ways to win. They have stormed down the field in the final drive of the game and found a way. They have pulled out a crazy trick play against UCF to win the game. They find those things, and you're exactly mm -hmm. right. Cincinnati and West Virginia, 
they found ways to lose as opposed to finding ways to win. That's why I was so heated and most of us were so heated as opposed to losing to North Carolina that was never really winnable once we all realized what Phil Jerkovic realistically was. And we're kind of snake bit against UNC anyway. I'm actually very yeah. relieved that we've added more teams to the ACC because it means we'll play UNC in football less. That's a very good point. I didn't think <laughs> about that from a realignment perspective, but yeah. And not to mention North Carolina, probably not until 2036, but then they'll jump to the Big Ten or the SEC and then never have to play them again. We're trying not to do that today. We're not thinking about that no, today. No, we're not thinking about yeah. that. We've got a wonderful, beautiful ACC You've never seen anything like it. <laughs> we love oh. the ACC, don't we, folks? <laughs> and uh, and things are just looking great for right now as we stare down the barrel of maybe at best a five-win season. The vibes are just real, great. Real quick, do you have UConn's number? Because, uh, sorry. Anyway. Um, <laughs> looking forward to that home and home. I think that was announced this week. Um, what I would get, yeah, we should have mentioned yeah. that on this podcast. What I would give this season to have UConn on the schedule because I know Duke oh, is actually a very good team. And, and UConn isn't bad this year, but they beat UConn 41 to seven. UConn lost to FIU. They lost to Georgia State. They lost to NC State. Like UConn's better, but they're still 0 and 4. They're still bad. It would be nice if Pitt could have a pretty easy win, even if it's in Stores, Connecticut in November at this point. I mean, Boston College is on the schedule, and maybe I've jinxed that, but like that's where I was saying about whether or not like Virginia Tech is the winnable game, because Boston College is also terrible so yeah three win season minimum right now i think i think i think um, i think but you know um could could go different ways it it's gonna what? be an 8 p.m kickoff next week enter sandman's gonna get the fans hyped i could see Pitt losing that game louisville yeah. looks like a good team wake looks kind of like a mess but again it's a road game i don't really know boston college you never know i mean who knows this could be I, a one-win team yeah, one thing I want to I know we're we're you know, we're running a little bit long here, but one thing that just I was ready to make a joke about was that uh we were getting hidden on the ACC network and that game should justifiably be hidden from view. There's not real I guess okay. <laughs> Notre Dame Duke is the is what a world we live in. Notre Dame Duke is definitely like the game of the evening next week and that's what I think everybody will be talking about while we're sitting in our little dungeon trying to trying to like negotiate. Yeah, like Nate Yarnell's going to be in and throwing for like five yards. <laughs> and going through the five stages of grief when Nate Yarnell yeah. comes in. And we <laughs> like that's that's next week. Is is yeah is um is is Pitt Virginia Tech going on quietly in the background in the ACC network while the Duke Blue Devils football team are the talk of the nation. <laughs> yeah, things are in a weird spot right now for um, for Pitt football. So on that high note, we're going to wrap things up here. Um, PBS, Pitt Basketball Shouting, thank you so much for joining us. Please tell the listeners where they can find you, follow you, and, uh, you know, just hear more of, of what, what's going on in your your brain. <laughs> yeah the the two main ones are um so i'm still on twitter as pit basketball shouting and they stay there uh i'm on blue sky as at shouting i was able to nab that pretty quickly and i'm proud of that so hopefully yeah, that takes great. off because that feels prestigious that's really it i'll tell you if you want the fun thing is that when i appear on other podcasts as myself i appear on other friends podcasts where i totally mentioned the pit basketball shouting thing um as a hey if you listen this far and you somehow know what that is here you go so there are some podcast episodes out there where i fully dox so have fun with that um you will not find them but if you do congratulations um i will not be doing that on this so apologies um if you find me at a game i will totally tell you all about myself but uh we keep that off the internet for no particular reason i'm going to guess it was it's the podcast is a rewatch of the 2006 American legal drama series called justice produced by Jerry Bruckheimer and starring Victor Garber that had 13 episodes. One of which did not air in the United <laughs> States. I'm going to guess it's a rewatch podcast about that, that you've been on and we can find you. Theor theoretically you're halfway there. Now you just have to find that. Rewatch podcast. <laughs> 
I'm just saying, I, I did watch that show in a law class once, and it was actually a really good show. It had a fun gimmick where the it, it it's you know procedural law thing, and at the end of the show, they show you what actually happened. Like for most of the show, you don't oh. know who's innocent. Like if they're defend their their defense attorneys you don't know if they're innocent or guilty and then in the final scene of the episode they actually show you what happened it was a good gimmick colombo i dig it there was another you've you've reminded me for no particular reason but if you're listening an hour into this podcast you deserve to know about this um (laughs) shout out the 2000 ish uh cbs legal drama century city which was space lawyers it was lawyers in the future (laughs) And they did future law and it was like clones and DNA and stuff and cybernetics. And it was like theoretical law and it didn't succeed at all. So check out, try to find a, a 180p video of Century City on Vimeo sometime. All right. I think that's right. That's, that's my lesson to you. Yeah. <laughs> that's homework for, for next week. Uh, Pit Basketball shouting again. Uh, you can follow him online and find his stuff. Uh, you can also find Pit Talk Network on social media, on Twitter, on Blue Sky. Just search for Pit Talk Network. And please find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Pit Talk Network and subscribe, follow. You will get the new episodes whenever they are dropped. We've got new episodes of Football Unscripted coming every single week. We've got Olympic Gold and Blue talking Pit Soccer coming up this week. We've got Panthers Pathway, Panthers and the Pros. A lot going on here at Pit Talk Network. We are growing this and uh, and really excited about talking about Pit Football, even though it is frustrating yeah. to talk about at times. It's, it's just a great season to get this thing started. Uh, Pit Basketball shouting. Thank you so much. Until next time, I'm Corey Cohen signing off from the Pit Talk Network.